Service midweek. Tonight we have our special guest, also Brother Jonathan, who will be leading us in praise and worship out of our hymnals. He's going to have you turn to page 290. So if you want to go ahead and grab your hymnal, today is an unprecedented day. We have had a, a peaceful transition of power between two presidents and two administrations. However, we as Christians, we look at that because we're not of this world. We will never see a transition of power between Jesus and anybody else. Amen. For the book of Hebrews tells us that he's an eternal high priest. To learn more about our our high priest be here on Wednesdays as we've been studying the book of Hebrews. But Jesus is one who will exist forever and ever and ever. And the phrase with Jesus is victory. That we have victory in Christ, victory over our sins, our afflictions, and victory over the world. There ain't nothing that the world's going to come against you and take from you that Jesus can't give you and He's even better than that the world can give you or that death can take from you. Amen. Somebody. So if you would, we're going to go ahead and get, get to our feet. If you're outside, simply... Uh, Sing along with us as Brother Johnson comes and sings Victory in Jesus. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We got victory in Jesus today. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary
heard about those streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there a song. This next song I'm going to do is more of a modern worship song, so feel free if you'd like to sit down or if you want to stand up or whatever you want to do, feel free to do whatever. But I would like to just say something about this song. You know, the, there's a, like a pre-course and, and the, in the pre-course it says, there's no one like our God. And uh, I can't quote it without singing it, it seems like. But, uh, but, but it basically says, there's no other God like our God. And it, this song is really called The God of This City. And we don't really live in a city. But the God is God of everywhere. Amen. You know, if I could have found it in the book, I'd have probably sung that. But there's this old song about He's the God on the mountain. He's the God in the valley. Amen. He's the God of the daytime. He's the God of the nighttime. No matter what is happening, our God is still God. Amen. And that's why another part of this song says, Greater things are yet to come. And greater things are still to be done in this city or just right here, that I believe that God has something great in store for us. We might not see it this year. We might not see it on this earth. But I believe in a great God that's able of great things. And like it said right there, He's got a mansion for us in glory. He's promised us greatness. He's promised us His love. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. Yeah. 
You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no one like you, God. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things still to be done in this city. Like I always say, I feel like good worship is really a prayer. And one of my favorite psalms says, Oh God, You are my God. Early will I seek Thee. God, we declare that You are the God of this church. That You are the God of this nation. That You are the God over our families, over our community, over this state, Lord, over this county. That You are God. Lord, I pray that You would reign in our hearts and in our life because surely there is no one like You. There is no one that can give the peace that You give. There is no one that can shine light in the darkness like You. There is no one that can bring hope and joy into our lives. So God, we pray that You would reign over our families, over our church, God, over our community, Lord. Doesn't matter who the president is or who the Congress is, there is a God in heaven that we want to reign over our life. You are our hope, Lord. We give our lives to you. Our hope is in you. There is no one like our God. Declare that. And there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. And there's greater things. And greater things are yet to come. And greater things still to be done in this city. to be done in this city. I hear the choir a little bit. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things still to be done in this city. Greater things are 
said to pray to Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers unto his harvest and then if you read a little bit further guess what he did he sent the very ones he was telling to pray so I just want to pray this God I believe that you're not done in this church that you're not done in this nation but God I believe that greater things are yet to come I pray Lord that you would send the laborers unto the harvest God that you would give us a burden for the lost souls that you would give us a burden to live our life with holiness and urgency, God. Lord, that we would not be asleep at the wheel, but that we would be Your faithful servants working diligently until You come, God. For greater things are yet to come. So God, we give You our hands. We give You our feet. We give You our heart, God, that You would lead us and guide us into Your harvest field to do Your work and to complete Your will. Your kingdom come and Your will be done right here in this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to imagine in the book of Job at the beginning, there was a meeting in heaven and God was there and all the children of God came and they were meeting. And I want you to imagine that meeting's probably going on right now in heaven and the devil's probably looking up at God and saying, they're still singing. They're still singing. Even though I bombard them with propaganda, I, I, I take things from them. I, I, I even attack their health because you allow me, God. I, I, I even attack their minds and I, I even burden them and I try to get their eyes off of you. And, and here they are on a Wednesday night in a little church on Richardson Bridge Road and they still sing. Why do y'all sing? <laughs> because He's still God. He's still God of this city. He's still God of this nation. He's still God of this church. And He's still your God. He reigns forevermore. There will be no recount. There will be no hanging chads, if you can remember back then. There will be no hijacked uh, uh, campaigns. He is God and He's sovereign. And He reigns forevermore. So, oh weary Christian, don't, don't bow your head. For there's still hope. The living embodiment of hope. He sits at the right hand of the Father and He ever lives to intercede on your behalf. His name, His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Did y'all enjoy the worship this, this afternoon? Thank you, kids. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss y'all to class. Thank you for singing so well tonight. That was wonderful. If you would grab your Bible, open up to the book of Judges. Book of Judges. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks here at Riverside, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we've been studying the book of Judges. And tonight will be no different. 
We'll be picking up in Judges chapter number 6. Last week, we spoke about uh, the, the the latest judge on our radar, who is Gideon. And we spoke about how Gideon was uh, not really a man of valor. He was actually uh, a wimp. He was a coward. But the Lord spoke to Gideon those things that are not as though they were. Because we know something about our God, is that He speaks into nothing, and then everything springs forth. Amen? So tonight, you might be a jellyfish, or you have a... a you have a wishbone where your backbone should be. Well, that's the kind of people that God uses. Amen? The kind of people who are weak and feeble. If tonight you are so uh, talented or you're so uh, charismatic or you're so skilled, there are those that God would never touch with a 10-foot pole because you're just too good without God. You're too talented. He takes those that are not the noble of sin, those that are not well-known, those that don't come from money, those that are they are weak and feeble because he likes to use the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Amen. Somebody. And I am a living proof of that. Y'all couldn't find a weaker preacher. Y'all couldn't find a more pathetic specimen of, 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 of theology than this one right here. So I lean heavily upon grace. Amen. So if you would, open your Bible. Open up to Judges chapter number 6. We choose to believe a Bible here at Riverside because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They were divine, non human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, a Latin phrase that means the scriptures and the scriptures alone. The scriptures are our highest authority here at Riverside. Not our denomination, not the pastor, not our deacons, not the congregation, not our political affiliation, but the scriptures and the scriptures alone. Uh, sola fide is another phrase we use that's Latin and it means faith and faith alone. It means having trust and confidence in something. And that something really is a someone, and it's sola Christos, a Latin phrase that means Christ and Christ alone. That we believe we trust in Jesus, we have faith in Jesus, just Jesus, not faith in our tithing records, not faith in our in our uh, our, our political system, not faith in our church attendance. We have faith in Christ, in Christ alone. We also believe in sola gracia. Now, this is one of my favorites because it's Latin. It means grace and grace alone. That we're saved simply on the merits of Jesus, saved simply by grace. If you were here Sunday, we spoke about justice and how everybody warrants justice. You're owed justice, but it's grace, and grace alone is the only reason that anybody goes to heaven. Amen. And we also culminate and tie this all up with a big, pure, beautiful bread bow on top. It's sole deo gloria, a Latin phrase. That means for God's glory and His glory alone. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Princes rise and kings fall. But all for the glory of God, no matter what it is, for all things work towards good for those who love God. So no matter what comes your way, no matter if the the rivers rush against you, rise up against you, if the waves beat upon you, it's for God's glory and His glory alone. So if you would open your Bible, the judges, I do hope you have a copy of God's Holy Word. If you ever go hear a sermon or go to church and hear a preacher speak, and you keep your Bible closed, well, rest assured, that is a bad sermon. You have my sermon notes right before you. This is what we'll cover here this afternoon, here in Judges chapter number 26. Now, as you remember, back in Judges 6, we saw where Gideon was commissioned by a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Yes, we've discussed it before, that all things were created for him, through him, and by him in the book of John, that he was around in creation, that he was there in the book of Proverbs chapter number 8, that he actually danced and celebrated as the Father created the earth. 
Then we see here as Gideon comes face to face back in chapter 6 verse 21. But we're going to look mostly at verse 22. When Gideon perceived that he was, there was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, O God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. At this point, Gideon was a good little Jew. He knew what the Torah said, that no one can look at the face of God and live. For the God was overwhelming. His glory would consume whoever was there. But God in His mercy, mercy because Jesus, if we know anything about Jesus, He's full of mercy and grace. Even though He stood there and received worship from Gideon, Gideon guaranteedly thought he was going to die. Even Jacob thought he was going to die when he wrestled against God. But God simply touched his 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 up and took it out of joint. Here is another example where God had mercy on a man named Gideon. And he says how God speaks to Gideon is something that should resonate within you, Christian. Because he says in verse 23, But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That should resonate in your soul whenever you are owed death. For the wages of sin is death. You are owed death. If God were to give you justice like I referred to earlier, you would be in hell. But God has given you nothing nothing less than peace. Oh, that's wonderful and grand. That causes you to lay your head on your pillow at night because you're in right standing with God. You are at peace with God. And He tells Gideon, do not fear. Well, he should say is, I'm bringing war to you, Gideon. I'm bringing a boom to you because you're a coward. You're down in the wine presses over beating your, 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 your wheat, trying to make a, a threshing floor, which won't work because you're in the valley to begin with. I'm going to bring war to you. But no, he says, peace, and you don't have to be afraid. Tonight, know that God speaks to you the same way, peace to you, and you don't have to be afraid. That should bring peace to your weary soul. Gideon built an altar there. We spoke about this last week. He built an altar there. Jehovah Shalom or Yahweh Shalom. That God is my peace. That Gideon is being set up by God here. We have to understand that Gideon is not one who's a mighty, noble man, who's valiant, who's strong. But God is working with him with baby steps. Thank God that God can leap the the cosmos with one step, but He takes baby steps with those whom He loves. Gideon is weak. This should encourage people like The preacher who are weak and feeble, who will stumble and who do fall. And I know that ain't proper grammar, but it gets the point across. That Gideon is feeble and he's weak, but God is patient and kind with him. Saying, peace, don't be afraid. Don't worry, Gideon. So what Gideon does, he says, my hope is not found in whoever is ruling over the nation. My hope is not found in my, 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 my zeal and my passion. It's not found in my physical prowess. It's found in Shalom, Jehovah Shalom. It's found in God. So he builds an altar there. He builds a place of worship to pinpoint that this is my anchor. This is my tether. This is what holds me together. Amen. This is what holds all things together. God who is my peace. I know there's things going on in the world and believe me, they probably will get worse. But who cares? For God is my peace. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. All around me is sinking sand. But on the solid rock is where I stand. Amen, somebody. He says that Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. He spoke peace to me. And now I am at peace. 
But notice Gideon, he might be called to peace with God, but he's called to war now. You will never be able to stand up for anything unless you kneel before God. Here Gideon is now, has in, he's in right standing with God. God has told him, I'm with you. But then he tells him to go. He always tells that to his church. He says, I'm with you, but you can't just stay in this little box of a building. You have to go be fishers of men. You can't just stay here and be keepers of the aquarium. I'm with you. I know it's not culturally sound or it's not, it's not in fashion to be a Christian, let alone a Bible-believing Christian because we throw, away, throw around the name and the label of Christian to everybody where it includes all kinds of sins and calls a, a house of Babylon. But to be a Bible-believing Christian, what? Y'all use the Bible at your church? Y'all go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Y'all actually believe? Y'all take it literal? No, we don't take it literal. We take it in context. Some things are poetic. Some things are history. Some things are prophecy. Some things are for edification. Some things are for correction. We actually believe this is the Word of God. His words in print. And we live our lives by what He says. Oh, unfounded and shocking. You're archaic and narrow-minded. Some people's minds are so open that their brains fall out. We put our eyes on Jesus regardless of the waves that beat against us. Even if we start to sink and the culture overtakes us, to be absent from the body, you're doing me a favor if you put a bullet in my head. To be absent from the body is to be present with my Lord. But it's good for you that I'm here, is what Paul tells us. We see here that Gideon says, the Lord is my peace. I just can't get past it. After a day like today, a lot of people's golden calves were shattered. There was a lot of conspiracies on the internet. People were going to do this and that. They believed that it was going to be a last minute a joker's wild to come out of the sleeve of the former president. They believed that the conservatives will rise up and take the nation back. But the calves, the golden calves have been put to death. They've been slaughtered. Now the church, all you have is not someone in the office of the Oval Office as you're hoping your defender, but you found someone in the throne room of heaven who's your defender. Now you don't pray to the Oval Office and pray that FEMA comes and helps you or does a stimulus check or to look over here for a vaccine. Look to Jesus. Look to His wounds. Look to where He died and rose again on the third day. That's where our hope is found. Amen. Thanks be to God for a new president. But newsflash, Christian, you're to pray just as hard for this president as the last one. You may not like him. I ain't going to say my opinion because that don't really matter. It don't matter if you like him or not. But you're called to pray for him. Have you not read Romans 13? We went over that. We took nine months and went through Romans. You're called to pray for those who are magistrates and rulers and authorities, even if they're wicked. Don't you know that Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar? He didn't pray to Nebuchadnezzar. He prayed for And that's what we're called to do. Here we see, to this day it still stands, uh, Oprah, which... Belongs to the Abersites. Then verse 25. That night the Lord said to him. He didn't give him a break. That very night. God speaks to Gideon. Take your father's bull. The second bull. Seven years old. And pull down the altar. Of Baal at your father's, that your father has. And cut down the Asherah. That is beside it. 
And build an altar of the Lord to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. This very Gideon who had an encounter with God has now been told his marching orders. This is not the full plan of God, but this is a step to where God wanted him to be. See, Joash was Gideon's daddy. But Joash was not a believer in the God of Scripture. He was not a believer in the God of Israel. In fact, Joash was on the other team. He was one of the Baal worshippers. He was one of those who actually was a central leader in the community of idol worship. Did you know God will skip whole generations of people? to their children because the first are disqualified for not worshiping the one true God? Did you know that God has skipped parents go straight to the children because the parents simply will not believe God? The parents will conjure up idols. See, we're good at idol making. We'll make all kinds of idols. We'll build them and design them and put them in trees and climb up and set in them as a deer stand. That's her idol. Or we'll chase a little white ball god across a green lawn. That'll be our idol, whatever it's golf. We will conjure up a Jesus in our imagination and create Him and fashion Him with our imagination hands and say Jesus is our homeboy. If you ever hear somebody say, Jesus is my homeboy, that means he's my buddy. He laughs at all the dirty jokes I laugh at. He, he goes to the same bars I do. He, me and him sit together and watch porn. Jesus is my homeboy. He's alright with my iniquities and not depravities. Or a rainbow Jesus. This Jesus, he's transgender. He's binary. He, we call him by preferred pronouns. And he's a, he, see, I, everything I'm saying can be considered hate speech, but thanks be to God, it's true speech. And it's just that the, the world don't want to hear the truth. And if the truth is heard, they call it hateful. Amen. But we're idol makers and we create all kinds of Jesuses. Jesus want a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes. He wanted a black man with an afro with a pick in it. He didn't have a jerry curl. He, he, he was Middle Eastern. He had a big nose. He had olive skin. But I could care less. His blood was red and it covered my sins. Amen. But we fashion all kinds of idols. We fashion anything other than God to worship. You leave a man to himself, he will conjure up a God. Even the Native Americans, whenever they landed in the New World, they were worshiping the great spirits of the nature, of the earth, wind, and fire, not the singers. But they, they worshiped the, the, the natural elements. They, 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 then, have you ever noticed whenever we go into the deep places of Africa to an isolated tribe, they, they're never, they're never a Gnostic or atheist. They always worship something. Because that's our nature. We worship stuff. That's what we do. We worship sex, alcohol. We worship our grandchildren. We worship our pets. We worship whoever's in politics. We worship even ourselves, believing ourselves to be God. Because we're made to worship. But Joash, he's just like us. Worshiping another God. Even John Calvin, the great theologian, said our hearts are like idol factories. Always pumping out something else to worship. 
turn on any radio station, any station, and listen to the lyrics. They're worship songs or something. Money, women, booze, you name it. Even grandma got ran over by a reindeer. It's a, it's a worship song. I wish somebody killed grandma. That's what it's about. Every song's a worship song. So I made my point that Joash was an idolater, but his son wasn't. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, even though I'm born into a wicked family, that in your mercy and your grace, you'll snatch me and save me. Thank you that righteousness, I know for a fact, is not hereditary. My depravity is. My wickedness is. Many families have distinct facial features. Maybe they'll have a big nose. Oh, that nose. I know that nose. That's a so-and-so nose. Or there might even be a temper or an alcohol problem. Or it might be a wife-beating situation that goes from generation to generation. Here in the family of Joash, they worship the other gods other than the one true God. For God calls Gideon. He's already said that I come from the least of my tribe. He says, I'm the weakest of the weakest. And that's who exactly God chooses. He calls him to go and pull down the altar in the Asheroth. The King James actually says there's a grove. An Asheroth is a pole that comes up out of the ground. Instead of cutting the pole down of the, the, the orchard, they would go in and trim the leaves off of the orchard and just have a pole up and carve all kinds of demonic images and worship the pole. Much like... The green movement does. They worship the creation and not the creator. They go into public schools and deny that there's a God and a creator. But then they're concerned about environmentalism. They're worried about carbon footprints. If we're all an accident, all an accident, if we all came from the zoo and he created the, the goo, created the zoo, created me and you, what's the point of it all? Why be concerned about our environment? We're all biological bags of chemicals that's going to die anyway. They're just being hypocrites. They're denying that there is a God. But they look at creation and worship creation. Why denying God? Here, God calls Gideon to pull down the orchard, this holy place in their eyes, and pull down the altar, an altar of worship to another God. He's using the first bull to pull them down and the mature bull of seven years, the number of perfection, to be slaughtered on that altar. But notice what Gideon does. Even though he's been visited by the pre-incarnate Jesus, he still does it and goes about it a way that probably we would too. Verse 27, So Gideon took ten men of his, of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it, by day he did it at night. We read that and say, oh, he's spineless. What a wimp. Let's not be so quick to judge. Let us not be so quick to cast stones at Gideon. For we probably do the same if we did it at all. Gideon does it at night when there's no one there to show him opposition. When there's no one to debate him, he does it in the darkness of night, pulling down the altar. But he still does it. Whoever you are, whoever Jesus has called you to do something, 
Even if you have to tremble when you do it, still do it. Even if your voice cracks, still proclaim His name. I heard one old preacher, he says, if you got to stand behind the pulpit and your knees knock, still preach the name of Jesus. Preach if they frown. Preach if they smile. It don't matter. Proclaim His name. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, I don't know what it is. He tells you to do something through Scripture and the unction of the Holy Spirit to do something. Whether it's invite somebody to church. Well, they'll think I'm weird. They'll think I'm one of those, those people. I don't want to be known as that. Go ahead. And if He's called you to do it, do it. If He's called you to do it and you're scared, do it scared. If He's called you to start a ministry, do it. If He's called you to lead your family, but I ain't never seen nobody do this before. I've never seen it modeled before. My daddy didn't do it. My grandpappy didn't do it. All my family folk taught me how to do is bribe and beat and steal. That's all I know. If you're setting out and you don't know how to do it, follow His lead. Trust in Him. Open your Bible and get started. Whatever it is. See, many people think the preacher's supposed to do it all. But if you read the book of Ephesians, I'm called to equip the saints, teach and preach. It's your job to do the ministry. But you're to compel them and bring them in to hear the gospel. It's your duty. How's your ministry going? How is your, how's your prayer ministry? Intercessory. How's all that going? How's your ministry doing? Here, Gideon does it in the He does it in the dark. God called you to pray. By all means, you better pray and put my name at the top of the list. If God called you to serve in this church in any any way or form, get started. Preacher, I want to do the flower beds, or I want to I want to trim the hedges, I want to cut the grass, whatever. I want to clean the toilets, I want to vacuum, whatever. I want to sing a special. I want to teach a Bible study. I want to teach a Sunday school. I want to start the choir back up. Whatever. Get started. But I'm not qualified. Join the crowd. I don't have any degrees. Me neither. If God called you, then that's qualifying you. If God called you, that's all that matters. Jesus sent Gideon to do this. And even though he does it afraid, he still does it. Let that resonate in your soul. But there will be repercussions. Oh, it ain't all going to be burritos and unicorns and rainbows. Let me assure you. When God calls you to war, you will get hurt. You will bleed. But thanks be to God, He's the healer. You might be in the middle of a war, but He's the Prince of Peace. Here, Gideon now faces opposition. In verse 28, When the people of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down. And the Asheroth beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said one to another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Joash is our spiritual leader. Joash is the high priest of Baal. And it was his kid that did this. Joash, we need to have a business meeting. 
Joaz, you went messed up. You can't rule your household well. It's time to, it's time for a come to Baal meeting. You notice how I put Baal there instead of Jesus. It's time to have a meeting. Gideon. Gideon is the one who tore down this altar. To tear down an altar is to say that you go against the government of that area. It was very territorial. If you were to go against a deity, you would go against a regional deity. That means that he's the god of this area. Baal is the god of this family, which is fitting that we had a song tonight. You're the god of this city. But to go against an altar or disrespect it or defile it is to say that we don't want this rulership over us, this deity over us. And when Gideon did that, he's going against the norm. He's going against what saith the people because they're worshiping Baal. But God has commanded him to tear down that altar. But Joash is the high priest. Verse 30, And the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he might die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Isn't that funny? Oh, you don't get it. Oh, let me explain because it's my job. Okay, in the book of Deuteronomy, God commands the children of Israel that the idol worshiper must die. That you're not to just conjure up and create anything to worship. But here is a group of Jews, nonetheless, who probably know the law of God, who are idol worshipers. And now they want to kill Gideon. Because Gideon destroyed their favorite idols. Any preacher or a man of God who stands before you and proclaims the truth and smashes your idols, you're going to hate. You're going to hate because he's going to, pry, he's going to try to pry them out of your grubby little hands. They'll be white-knuckled about your favorite idol. I don't like what you said. It might be true, but you said it mean-like. I don't like that. I don't like that, preacher. You're breaking the 11th commandment. You're supposed to be nice. Gideon should have got support from these Jews. Let me remind you, when you set out to do whatever God has called you to do, the very people you thought should be supporting you won't. They won't back you up. They ain't got your back. And that's alright. Because when Peter was walking on the water, his mama won't under him holding him up. His daddy won't there. And when he started to sink, it wasn't the lifeguard or the coast guard or FEMA. It wasn't the government that showed up. It was Jesus who swooped low down in that water and picked him up. Amen. If He called you to it, He'll bring you through it. Amen. So whatever He's called you to do, if it's baking cakes for shut-ins, if it's driving the elderly to their doctor appointments, if it's just calling people, checking them, how you been, bro? If it's going by the house, blowing the horn, waving at them, make sure they're okay. Whatever it is God has called you to do it, Everybody ain't going to like it. They might even try to stop you. They ain't going to like it. But you ain't doing it for them. You do it for Jesus. Yeah, I'm coming up in four and a half years as your preacher here, your pastor, and I love it. But rest assured, know this. If I was doing it for you, I would have quit on day three. Maybe around the time the flood came, I would probably quit. I ain't doing this. I didn't sign up for this. But I don't do it for you. <laughs> it's funny to me. It's funny to hear me say it, but it's true. I don't do it for you. I do it for Jesus. You wouldn't want me if I was doing it for you. 
How much sweet nothing's what I say? Oh, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you. You're so special. You would hate that because I'm feeding you sugar. I should be giving you salt that preserves you. Amen. Here, Joash's people want to kill Gideon. The very people that should be backing up Gideon. You know, Gideon's right. We're idol worshippers. We should be serving the one true God. You got a point, Gideon. No. Gideon's got to go. I can't believe he did that. Joash, get your boy out here. We're going to beat him to the white meat shows. Get him out here. At this point, Joash, even though he's a pagan, even though he's depraved and serves a different God, with a fatherly affection, he defends his son. That tells me that even God writes His laws on pagan hearts. For every man has a conscience unless it's seared. Every man has God's law imprinted on their minds. For even pagan people know it's wrong to lie. They can't tell you why, but it's just wrong to lie. It's an abomination to kill. They can't really say why and articulate it, but it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to be jealous and unforgiving and bitter. They can't really tell you why, but they know it's wrong. Joash, with a fatherly instinct, because he's made in the image of God, defends his son. Verse 30, the men of the town of said to Joash, Bring out your son that he might die for the broken down altar of Baal and cut down the asherahs beside it. But Joash in verse 31 said to all who stood against him, Shall you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. Joash says, if he's God, let him handle it. This pagan here has more faith in a fake God than most Christians have in the one true God. I'll say it again because somebody didn't catch that. Some people still worried about a transition of power in the Oval Office. They're still worried about their, their, their vaccine. They're still worried about the coronavirus. They're still worried about Y2K. Yeah, Y2K, that's 20 years ago. Why are you worried about it? Yeah, that's the point. Why are you worried about anything? Is He not God? This pagan said, if Baal's God, He'll handle it. If God is God, He'll handle whatever you're facing. This God who scoops the ocean in the palm of His hand is able to handle your mortgage. I don't know if you've ever seen Atlas. Atlas is the Greek God who has the world on His back. And you'll notice in every artist's illustration, he has his knees buckled. because That's where we get the phrase, you got the, the weight of the world on your shoulders. His knees are buckling because it's heavy. The world's heavy. But our God's not like Atlas. He spins the earth on its axis as if it was nothing. We studied Sunday. The earth will pass away like an old garment, but He will stand forever. Amen. He's everlasting, always immutable, never changing, always the same. His knees are not buckling. Well, you might be weary and your heart might grow faint. Know that He will encourage you and undergird you and keep you. I can get on board with God like that. 
poor Baal. He can't even avenge himself. His enemy tore down his altar and burned the holy grove around the altar. And Joash said, if he's God, let him handle it. That should be your motto. Hey, ain't you worried about what's going on in the nation? Are you worried about the economy? Are you worried about the... That's above my pay grade. I just called here to do this. I ain't got time to worry about those things. Jesus even spoke and said, look at the sparrows. There's not one fall without God's consent. I can imagine the conversation between the, the sparrow and the robin. As they perch on the line outside your house and see you fidgeting through the window. They see you worried and they see you wallowing in your bed at night, swimming in a sea of tears. I can see the sparrow looking over at the robin. Look how they tarry. Look how they worry. Look how they fidget. And I can see the robin speaking to the pharaoh. Maybe they don't have a God like we have. I don't think some of y'all got it. The birds never die from anxiety. They never have heart attacks and high blood pressure. They don't, they don't, they don't just get sick and die because overwhelming anxiety. That doesn't happen because simple little creatures like birds just trust in God. Oh foolish Christian, is He not God? He can contend with His own issues and problems. Why do you worry? Here we see that Joash says that if Baal is God, let him contend with him. I don't know if Joash really believed that Baal would kill his son. I don't know. The text don't say it. And I'm not going to speculate. Maybe Joash just found a good job being the high priest of Baal. Making a good living. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. But he saved his son out of the situation. Now it's time for Baal to show up and show out or just shut up. But I can read the rest of the chapters and know that nothing happens to Gideon because Baal does it. Nothing's going to happen to you because of the Democratic Party. Nothing's going to happen to you because of because there's an overpowering principality, a mighty force that comes against you and overtakes God's grip on you. That's just not going to happen. He's God. Oh, that's just good to me. I figured you'd be more excited about that, but that's all right. Like Gideon will take baby steps. Gideon, the darkness, darkness of night, pulls down this altar. What altars do you got to get rid of? Or you're spending time and money and talents in? Or you're just pouring the things that God gives you into something else? God is calling you to tear it down. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's an altar that your family made. Maybe you didn't even put it there. Maybe it's an altar of unforgiveness that's been built for years and everybody comes to that altar and they stab each other and they're mad at you and backbite each other. Maybe it's time to pull that altar down. Maybe it's just an altar of abuse, anger, jealousy, uncertainty, where we go and worship because we're uncertain to the God of uncertainty. The God of low-key, that's what we call Him. He's a, a God of chance. That anything can happen. It's going to be 50-50. That anything can happen. How would you sleep at night? It's a God of chance. But our God controls all things. There is not one maverick molecule in all of creation that He does not reign over. There's not one nucleus of a cell over here that says, no, not my God. You know that phrase we say, not our president. We just say, well, I'm not part of the American government. Not my president. That's not going to happen in His dominion. He's God over it all. Even over the rebels, the pagans, 
the wicked and the righteous. He's still God. Oh, that is so comforting. Church, how does, it, how does it make your blood pressure? Does it spike it or does it make it mellow out knowing that God is in control? I don't have to be in control of everything. Joash says, well, let, let Baal contend with him. Verse 31, but Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Notice our God saves us. We don't have to save our God. Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar was broken down. Therefore, verse 32, Therefore on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. What a wonderful nickname that Gideon acquired among his people. A name that says false gods are against Him. Oh, that's wonderful. Because if the false gods are against Gideon, then the one true God is for Him. Amen. Go ahead, let everybody label you whatever they want. It should put a scratch on you. Yeah, it might hurt. Yeah, sticks and stones might break my bones. But that's not even true. I've had words put me down. And only the words of God will bring me back up. Let's be honest. I've had people label me. And that's, I, I say, say, that's fine. But it won't really. I didn't like it. But all things. All things work towards good. God used this. I don't know if it was fuel for Jerubbabel to hear the, the critics or hear that the enemies of God have labeled him. And he lay on his bed at night in security knowing Jehovah Shalom or Yahweh Shalom, God is my peace. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you tweet. I don't care what you echo. I don't care what people say on the phone about me. I don't care what my reputation goes up or my stock goes up or if it goes down. It's only what God thinks of me. Now we have a new nickname for Gideon. The very one that was hiding in the valley, treading the wheat and the wine press. The one who was not very brave now has tore down the altar. But like a baby with baby steps, God is gentle and kind with Gideon. Just like He is with us. If we can step back and look at what God has called you to do and He showed you the full picture, it would overwhelm you and swallow you with anxiety. He might take baby steps with you. That's fine. Because... Sometimes we can barely take those steps. We stumble as it is. Gideon had much in front of him that God wanted to do, but the first thing to do was tear down this altar. Now, in verse 33, now the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jazir. Here we see that the enemies of God, the Midianites, those that are a great horde. Remember, they were, uh, uh, they were unorganized. They were just a horde. They would come into the, the community and lap up all the resources and destroy. There was no king. There was no general. They just came in with their animals. They came in and sacked everything that Israel worked towards to, to store to get through the winter. But you must remember that at this point, the reason they were under the Midianite occupation is for for seven years they were under the occupation of the Midianites is because they dishonored God and didn't honor Him with their tithes, their talents, and their treasures. 
So God simply turns themselves and all the things that were meant to worship God over to their enemies. Now they camp down into this valley. And this valley is a very nutrient-rich land where all the agriculture took place. Anybody who controlled this valley controlled the trade in the area. They controlled the food flow. They controlled the information because all trade routes went through here. So can you imagine innumerable enemies of God down in the valley soaking up the very land that was promised to the people of God? In verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord... Clothe Gideon. Even though verse 33 talks about innumerable odds, overwhelming odds, unbelievable odds, verse 34 eclipses all those odds because Gideon is now clothed with the power of God. Uh, let me just put it plainly so uh, us Wayne County and Johnston County people can wrap our heads around it. When God's on your side, it don't matter who's against you. Amen. Gideon here is clothed with the power of God. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Asmarites were called out to follow him. And he sent out messengers throughout all Manasseh. And they too came to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Nephitali, and they went up to meet him. At this point, you would think Gideon is ready to rock and roll. You would think he's ready to bang and clang. He's ready to let's do this. Wheels up, kick the tires and light the fires. Here we go. But no, that's not what happens. Gideon needs a shirt. He even asked for signs. And really. How many of us have asked for a sign? Asked for a sign from God. I've done it. I ain't going to lie. You're the preacher. Yeah. Yeah. I'm flesh and bone like you are. I've had all kinds of dumb signs I've asked for. But the thing about God is this. He's patient and long-suffering. And kind and gentle. You don't believe me? When you get a chance, get home and I want you to read it all. Read the whole book of Job, okay? Read it before you go to bed. I'm just kidding, that's a lot. But in that book of Job, Job chapter 3 on to Job chapter 37, it's a constant misrepresentation of God. They misrepresent God to Job. They accuse Job of sin and say God, and choose, say different things about God that won't even write. And we always use the phrase, the patience of Job, brother. He's got the patience of Job. It's not that Job was patient. It was that God was patient. Hearing His name slandered after each conversation, misrepresented, ill-spoken of, He was patient with Job and His ridiculously dumb friends who in the midst of His suffering, they accused Him. God was patient. God was kind. We see the fullness of the kindness in Jesus. For Colossians tell us that He's the fullness of the Godhead. He is God incarnate. He's a down-to-earth deity. Fully God and fully man. And when we read the Gospels and we see stupid questions all the time that people ask Jesus, who's seeing this man or his parents? What a dumb question to ask. 
Jesus said, nobody sinned. It was just so, I'll be glorified. Look how He's patient and kind. And we'll see that again in the story of Gideon. That God is patient and kind. Remember earlier when I told you that when God calls you to something, that you go ahead and do it even if you're scared. But also know this, when God calls you to something, He takes into accountability your stupidity. He knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're going to want to give up. He knows you're going to want to throw in the towel. He knows you're going to want to run the other way. He knows you're going to need assurance. Get this. He knows you're going to need grace. And guess what? He supplies all that. Oh, that's comforting. Even when I stumble, even when I fall, He don't walk out on me. It's not like we walk shoulder to shoulder. Oh, you messed up, man, and leave me back. That's not how He does. He'll leave the 99 who have it all together to come find me. That's resounding and comfortable. I really like that. (laughs) He's a forgiving and merciful God. People don't like to hear that really because the judgmental people, they don't like that because they're doing so well. They like to judge themselves on everybody else. Well, I'm doing better than them. And they rate their sin based on somebody else's sin. But Jesus blows all that out of the water when He shows up. He's he's complete perfection. He's holy and righteous and good and we are not and we all fail compared to that. Instead of sitting on His high horse or His high throne looking down on us, He shows grace and mercy. Now why do I keep hitting on this? Because in the next few verses, we're going to see where Gideon probably does some stupid stuff. (laughs) He asks for signs and wonders. You would think he had faith. You would think. I mean, he sat with Jesus. He sat with Jesus under the tree when he called him a brave and mighty man of valor. He even clothed him with God's glory, gave him strength and confidence. He just pulled down an altar in the middle of the night. He just got him out of a, a huge mob from wanting to kill him. You would think Gideon's got faith at this point. You would think we would have faith. I'm just going to go on four years from being here. I'm not even going to tell you all the good stuff that happened before I got here. Let's just say four years here. We've been through floods. The building gutted. We had people come and go. People say, yeah, I'm here at this church. We've had deacons just leave. Don't know why. We had people join the church. And a month later, they were gone. We hadn't seen them since. We've seen all kinds of stuff. We've seen people leave mad and we've seen people come happy. We've seen all kinds of stuff. We've been through floods. We've been through the roads shut down. We've seen all kinds of stuff. You would think we got some faith. We've seen a pandemic. We've seen face masks. We've seen vaccines. We've seen the church literally shut down. We've seen all of that. You would think that we would have some faith. What I'm saying is we just look over our shoulder and look at what God has brought us through and saved us from and kept us. 
that really should build our faith. Because we get spiritual amnesia. We forget. Has He not brought you through the fire before? Has He not kept you sane in the middle of it all before? Has He not upheld you? And won't He do it again? Like I told you before in the black church, they say, won't He do it? And they say, won't He will? <laughs> Let us bow our heads and let's pray. Father,